Vancouver's drug problem shows up at the front door. Dude, you're a rat hole. You're out of here. Dramatic video of a Vancouver City Councillor confronting a suspected addict. A sharp spike in COVID infection. And with rumors of another beach bash tonight, the province launches a new website so you can party like Dr. Henry. And community centers stay closed. Our swimmers have been out for over four months. Why athletes and other users are growing impatient. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Sophie is off tonight. Tensions between neighborhood residents and tenters in a sprawling encampment in East Vancouver are starting to boil over. In one dangerous confrontation captured on camera, a Vancouver City Councillor was threatened. Aaron MacArthur reports. Vancouver City Councillor Pete Fry engaged in a nasty confrontation with a man in front of his neighbor's home Friday morning. I've had a few confrontations like this before. I've lived in this neighborhood for about 30 years, so I do know a little bit about how to de-escalate these situations, and I, I, I'm, I'm not proud of how I reacted to that particular one because I think I did not de-escalate the situation but met the aggression with more aggression. Dude, you're a f***ing rat hole. The situation began after a woman who lives on Hawks Avenue noticed a man using drugs in the doorway of a home. She asked him to move along he became aggressive. Uh, he called me many names and then lunged towards me. Fry happened to be there and stepped in between the two. The altercation escalating to the point where Fry was threatened. I'll stab you, buddy, so quick. According to residents, the Strathcona neighborhood, especially Hawks Avenue, has become a thoroughfare for people passing between the downtown east side and Strathcona Park. The camp now home to about 300 tents and various levels of criminal activity. Uh, we do have officers who do have an increased presence in that area. Fry and Allen are urging all senior levels of government to find a solution. Without housing and supports, the situation is getting worse. Just the last week alone, we've had a, a number of really disturbing interactions. There was a handgun retrieved in a purse in the water park. There's been bottles thrown at people, needles thrown at people. The altercation Friday ended without incident. But an outreach worker was stabbed to death earlier this week near an overdose prevention site. And more violence is always a possibility. Residents in Strathcona simply want to feel safe in their own neighborhood. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Meantime, tributes are pouring in for 41-year-old Thomas Donahue. As Aaron mentioned, the overdose prevention worker was stabbed Monday night, becoming Vancouver's ninth homicide victim. Now, as police appeal for witnesses in this unsolved case, those who knew him are mourning their loss. Paul Johnson reports. This part of East Hastings is one of the toughest blocks in the country. And Trey Helton knows a lot of people here by name, though his list of friends is now one fewer. That's Thomas right there. And, uh, Thomas Donahue, now memorialized in a street mural in a downtown East Side alley. The place he spent years bringing people back from the brink of death. Thomas was very, very skilled at uh, managing overdoses, managing complicated overdoses. Trey and Thomas worked together at Vancouver's overdose prevention sites. And Thomas was working out of the facility in the back of St. Paul's Hospital Monday night when something drew him out onto the street and into a confrontation. 
We believe there may be additional witnesses. Vancouver police hope someone either saw or has dash cam footage of the fight that happened near Comox and Thurlow Street that escalated into a stabbing that killed Donaghy. This may have looked like a fist fight to someone watching or witnessing on the sidewalk or in a car. Not knowing the severity of the altercation and that it ended up in a homicide. He was a very sweet, sweet man and what happened to him is absolutely horrible. Back in the downtown east side, the loss of Donaghy is incalculable. Just one measure of his contribution is in the number of people still alive because he got to them after an overdose. Over 100, for sure. Easy. Trey and Thomas had another thing in common. Both were skaters. And Trey's now left with his old friend's board. It's really heart-wrenching to look at this. He left it in the locker inside, and he's obviously not going to come back for it. So um, it's pretty gut-wrenching, and it's terrible. In East Van, Paul Johnson, Global News. As we head into the long weekend, a troubling jump today in COVID-19 cases in our province. There are 50 new infections confirmed in the last 24 hours. That total number of confirmed cases since testing began is now 3,641. Sadly, there's been one more death at a long-term care facility, bringing the death toll to 195. Only five people are in hospital, though. Two of them are in the ICU. 3,168 people in B.C. confirmed to have had the virus are now considered fully recovered. There are now 278 active cases in our province. And a new exposure event to tell you about, this one at a Burnaby care home. A staff member at Dania Home is now tested positive for the virus. They're now self-isolating at home. Fraser Health has sent a rapid response team to the facility to screen other employees and patients. This is the first outbreak at a long-term facility in the Fraser Health region since mid-June. And you're looking at a live shot of Vancouver's third beach where a party has been promoted for tonight. Posters advertising the event were posted around the city and online, promising DJs, dancing, a barbecue. But right now, seems like the party's a bust. Vancouver police say they'll be keeping an eye on the area to make sure partiers don't bend the rules if and when they do show up. Worries about young people at mass gatherings have inspired the provincial government to release a new web page that targets young people. It's called Dr. Bonnie Henry's Good Time Guide. We'll bring in our legislative bureau chief, Keith Baldry, for more. Keith, let's hope this resonates with younger folks. Yeah, and certainly this is a key issue as we go through the summer. Of those 50 cases you just talked about, Chris, I just looked at the numbers. Almost half of them are people under the age of 40. So people, young people are getting this virus in large numbers. Back to that beach party. Uh, this came up, actually, Dr. Bonnie uh, uh, Henry's briefing yesterday. She's been asked about that previous drum circle. Not happy with these people gathering in large events such as this, not keeping their social distance. Again, here's her take on it from yesterday. <laughs> I know it's not sanctioned, and I, I can say that I, I understand it was effective to put stern pictures of me up there scaring people away. Um, but uh, but this is something that uh, uh, the Park Board, Vancouver uh, Coastal Health, um, the bylaw enforcement officers, the environmental health officers have been uh, working on over the last uh, little while across the province, actually. And we've been um, doing compliance checks in um, beaches and resorts and other places. 
Now, back to Dr. Bonnie Henry's Guide to Good Times. This is a, a fairly serious but kind of comical uh, a message to a targeted group of people. And these are young people. So this is a new website launched today, Bonnie Henry's Good Times Guide. Not the best likeness of her that I've seen, but it's talking about spread fun, not COVID-19. It has nine tips. If you're going to party and it's aimed at young people, follow some of these rules. Stay home if you're sick. Only go out with people you know. Don't go out with strangers. Stay outside as much as possible. Uh, be in small groups and don't share things like smokes or drinks or vapes or tokes or anything like that. And again, engage in safe sexual behavior and pay attention to your mental health. So it's a message, again, aimed at a demographic out there that obviously isn't tuning into Dr. Bonnie Henry's briefings that we're part of all, almost uh, several times a week. And again, this is a fairly serious situation as we go through the summer, Chris, where we're going to see large gatherings of young people. We saw it in Kelowna. It led to more than 1,100 people now self-isolating. That's the message from now. Uh, on is don't congregate like this because you're hurting people more than just yourself. You're hurting your friends and your family when you bring the virus back into the home. All right. Let's hope that message sinks in for sure. Thanks very much, Keith. Have a great long weekend. And a controversial BC Ferries policy has been scrapped, but that hasn't affected the ferry terminals on the Friday of the long weekend. You're looking at a live shot from our Global One helicopter of the Tawasson Ferry Terminal. Passengers traveling to their primary residence no longer get priority boarding. And as you can see, long lineups greeted travelers arriving at the departure points throughout the day with several sailings fully booked a week ago. In total, we will have waited two and a half hours if we get on this ferry. I tried the website, but uh, like even 10 days in advance and there was already sold out. I think it's a good idea if it's going to be abused and it's unfair for, you know, other people to wait. More concerns tonight about the return to school this fall and how it will impact scholarships and sports for secondary students. As Richard Zussman reports, high school plans have now evolved from a hybrid learning model to a full-time return to class. For Sophia Wazowski, this is basketball during a pandemic. I've been working on my individual skills and been keeping up in shape and lifting weights. The Walnut Grove secondary basketball star is heading into grade 12. With worries, basketball games can't be played at high school due to the pandemic and that her final year will be much different than expected. I think they're just trying to keep us all safe and I like get that. I just wish there was a season so I can play with my teammates one last time for my senior year. There is still confusion about what high school will look like in the fall. Students will be put in learning groups of up to 100 people, including teachers, and be back in the classroom full time. The original plan was to have high school kids only back in school two days a week. We are worried as a society about learning loss, about kids' uh, social and emotional well-being, uh, about uh, you know, academic uh, progress. Ontario opted for alternating days in class and virtual. There is still work being done to try to figure out here in BC how to allow some high school sports and other extracurriculars, but for now, many are not allowed. We have to live differently uh, under the pandemic. School is under a new normal situation right now. The secondary schedule is also up in the air. Some districts like Abbotsford are moving to a system where students have just two classes a day, one in the morning and the other in the afternoon, rather than switch six times a day. Other districts are still grappling with what to do. We again want to focus on students getting the courses and instruction they need to progress in their learning. This means access to, to art, to band, to calculus, to biology, to woodwork. Vishan Narayan is a New West football star. 
He was supposed to spend this last year of high school playing in Florida to improve his skills and a chance at a U.S. scholarship. The pandemic has kept him home, close to friends, but uncertain about his future. It's just kind of taken away that extra increased amount of uh, U.S. exposure and uh I guess type of rep that American players and coaches have with each other. The worry for many high school students, especially those in grade 12, is a year without sports and many other activities will feel like being stuffed at the goal line. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. And BC's Advanced Education Ministry releasing guidelines for reducing the COVID-19 risk at universities and colleges. All faculty, staff, students and visitors must check themselves daily for symptoms before coming to campus. Both uh, post-secondary institutions must practice physical distancing and enhanced cleaning for in-person instruction. Non-medical masks may be required depending on levels of transmission and where social distancing cannot be maintained. IHIT has identified the person found dead inside a burned out vehicle earlier this week. The remains of 23-year-old Randy Joseph Chan were discovered by an ICBC investigator Wednesday in a Burnaby tow yard. Chan was the subject of a missing persons investigation. He had an extensive history with police. The vehicle had been towed to the yard a week earlier after it had been found badly burned in the 7500 block of Meadows Avenue. The police watchdog has been called in after a standoff in Victoria ended in police using non-lethal force. Last Friday, Victoria police were called to a former downtown motel over reports a man had a weapon. They surrounded the building on Douglas Street. About four hours later, when the man left the suite and police say refused to comply with orders, they used a less lethal weapon to subdue him. The suspect was arrested and checked over in hospital, then released into police custody with non-life-threatening injuries. The IIO, Independent Investigations Office, looks at all officer-related incidents that result in harm or death. Conservation officers say one of their bear traps was sabotaged earlier this week while they were trying to catch an aggressive black bear in Port Moody. The large male bear was being tracked after it allegedly charged people on two occasions near the Port Moody Rec Center. But the conservation officers said that when they checked their trap, it was closed with the bait removed something they claim can only be done by a human. Tampering with a trap can result in a $10,000 fine. A well-known and award-winning Burnaby restaurant is closing its doors, but not just because of the COVID pandemic. The owners of Pear Tree Restaurant in Burnaby Heights say after 23 years, their days of serving the community are almost over. Owners Scott and Stephanie Yeager say lease negotiations had been ongoing well before the pandemic hit and would include a whopping 40% rent increase. They also say the landlords wanted to add a demo clause in year one along with a number of other unworkable clauses for them. The difficulties have been going for a bit. It's been, to be honest, well over a year or two knowing this was coming down and knowing the, the um, tone that we were at and, and what was going to be um, expected and changed. We'd hoped that um, things could be seen through a different light. The Pear Tree restaurant has received a number of awards in BC and nationally. The doors will close for good August 15th. And popular Kitsilano restaurant Bishop's is going to stay open after all. 
The owner, John Bishop, had announced earlier this year that he was going to be retiring after 35 years and closing the iconic eatery August 1st. But he now says that the COVID-19 pandemic has changed things and he's going to remain open until the end of the year. Vancouver-born actor Ryan Reynolds is committing to bring more diversity to the film industry with a new training program. They're going to spend their days on set learning from professionals, getting real-life experience. Reynolds posted this video to his Twitter page Friday announcing the Group Efforts Initiatives. The new on-set film production program is planning to recruit 10 to 20 trainees from black, indigenous and all other marginalized communities to work alongside experienced professionals on his next movie. Reynolds didn't name the movie, but says production is scheduled to start shooting this fall, dependent on the pandemic, and it's in partnership with Netflix and Skydance. He also says the expenses for the trainees include pay, housing and travel and they'll come out of his salary. New travel restrictions to one of BC's most beautiful destinations. Haida Gwaii is going into lockdown, disallowing anyone but locals after an outbreak of COVID-19. Why some say this is more about politics than safety in just over a minute. A spectacular lightning storm caught on camera, sparking concerns about an outbreak of wildfires. Coming up on the news hour. And a desperate rescue mission to save three whales entangled in fishing gear just off the B.C. coast. Coming up later as well. Right now, though, summer is suddenly over for fishing lodges on B.C.'s central coast after the province banned non-essential travel to Haida Gwaii. And with no evidence that tourists are responsible for the region's COVID-19 outbreak, some say the decision smacks of politics instead of safety. Catherine Urquhart reports. Queen Charlotte Lodge is a world-renowned luxury fishing destination. Now, peak season, they're being forced to close after the province banned all non-essential travel. I'm in shock. I'm, I'm dismayed. Um, and, and frankly, at the same time, very, very frustrated and angry. The travel ban came amid news there are now 20 COVID-19 cases on Haida Gwaii, 13 of them active. All are believed to be connected to off-island travel by residents. We're in the, in the midst of an outbreak here, so you know any help we can get to um, kind of manage the the risk of uh, any additional cases coming, and just try to um, get this outbreak under control and, and get Haida Gwaii COVID-free. West Coast Fishing Club and Queen Charlotte Lodge reopened only weeks ago. Oh, there was opposition from Haida residents and a warning from the Premier. They have an additional responsibility to make sure that the Indigenous communities near where they operate are comfortable with their activity. Queen Charlotte Lodge says it had an extreme safety protocol. A chartered plane was used to fly clients from Vancouver to Prince Rupert. Then a helijet took them to Haida Gwaii. On site were two doctors and no international visitors were allowed. Frankly, uh, our cells uh, had ended up being uh, political collateral damage. Uh, for a process that uh, has nothing to do with COVID-19 and has nothing to do with safety. The travel ban is for 28 days, two incubation periods. For the fishing resorts, this means the season is over. Losses expected to take years to recover. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Up ahead, the teenage mastermind who took down Twitter. Break the law and we will find you. 
A major break in the Bitcoin scam that targeted some of the world's wealthiest people. And look what they just found across the border in Washington state. Yes, the murder hornets are back. It's busy over here at Tawasson Ferry Terminal. The 7 p.m. is sold out to Swartz Bay. The 9 o'clock sailing is already 95% full. The 6.45 to Southern Gulf Islands is sitting at 95% capacity. And there's a one sailing wait to Duke Point. The 10.45 sailing is at 90% full. Get back on the road in style during employee pricing on now at Chevrolet. We're extending our price to you on most 2020 models, but hurry in offer ends July 31st. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above Tawasson Ferry Terminal. That's a live shot of Vancouver's third beach right now where a party had been promoted for tonight. Posters advertising the event were posted around the city and online, promising DJs, dancing and a barbecue. Some people obviously have gathered there on a beautiful Friday afternoon, but it's unclear if they're there for the event. It certainly doesn't look like much is going on. And this is why people were worried about it. Hundreds gathered last Tuesday at Third Beach and Stanley Park for a drum circle, ignoring social distancing rules, as well as violating the public health order that bans gatherings of more than 50 people because of the pandemic. The event got a lot of bad attention from across the country. And community groups and laid-off workers are getting anxious over the continued closure of public facilities during the pandemic. Many private gyms and indoor spaces have been operating and open for weeks, but most community centers remain shuttered. Jordan Armstrong speaks with those who are starting to question why. As the Vancouver Park Board tweets about International Lifeguard Appreciation Day, the irony is most of their lifeguards remain off the job because most public pools remain closed. Their union says it doesn't make sense. I think it's a lack of uh, priority or will of local government to open it up. And quite frankly, I think they're, they're liking the, saving the financial the dollars for these closed centres. Many private community centres and pools are open with modifications and enhanced cleaning. All users must take a shower for at least one minute before entering the pool deck. The Canadian Dolphins Swim Club normally rents time at the public Vancouver Aquatic Centre, but is now paying double to lease lanes in limited time slots at the private Jewish community center. We're trying to urge the city to get back open. Our kids need to get back swimming. Uh, swimming is an essential sport as far as I'm concerned. The club says months of calls and emails to the park board have not yielded a single response. It's been quite frustrating. It's the lack of information because we can't plan. So the park board needs money. Yes. And you spend a lot of money with the park board. Yes, Jordan. Does this seem weird to you? Quite. No one from the Vancouver Park Board would speak on camera Friday. A spokesperson told us they're aware of the community demand for access, but there is no timeline for reopening indoor pools. Taxpayers, uh, you're, you're paying for service that you're not getting. Uh, eventually that is just going to start uh, bubbling up, and I think we're hearing that right across British Columbia. It's time that these centers get opened up safely. It can be done. Jordan Armstrong, Global News. Still ahead, discovering a possible source of infection at long-term care homes. We really wanted to look at every possible route of transmission in those spaces. What their study found and why it could save lives. Also tonight, the flaming projectile that almost took out some firefighters.
some earlier afternoon problems here at the Massey Tunnel in both directions. Traffic is back to two lanes out of Delta and Richmond and seeing minimal backups in both directions. Employee pricing is on now at GMC. Right now, we're extending our price to you on most 2020 models. Road trip, anyone? Hurry in. Offer ends July 31st. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Massey Tunnel. A crew of firefighters in the Czech Republic avoided potentially serious injuries after a burning crane truck exploded. Dramatic video shows the explosion while crews fought the flames from just meters away. One of the massive tires blew off the truck right in the direction of firefighters who were just able to avoid it while keeping water on the blaze. Two of them were taken to hospital with minor injuries. Three people, including a minor, have been arrested in connection with a Twitter attack that targeted high-profile users, including former U.S. President Barack Obama and Elon Musk. Tonight, authorities have charged three suspects in connection with the unprecedented hack of some of Twitter's most famous users. Florida state officials billing 17-year-old Graham Ivan Clark from Tampa as the mastermind, allegedly working with a 19-year-old from the U.K. known as Chaywan and a 22-year-old Floridian called Rolex. I want to say to would-be offenders, break the law and we will find you. All three suspects charged in stealing access to the accounts of former President Barack Obama, former Vice President Joe Biden, Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk and Bill Gates, using them to ask people to send Bitcoin and promising to double their money, scamming them out of over $100,000. Twitter says the scam targeted a small number of employees by phone, enabling hackers to access celebrity accounts and direct messages. Clark will be charged as an adult, facing 30 state felonies. Twitter today saying we appreciate the swift actions of law enforcement and will continue to cooperate. Increasingly, we rely on platforms like Twitter to receive news and other information that is important to our lives. The Twitter VIP hack undermines public confidence in those information platforms. And with the presidential election less than 100 days away, voters are getting their information on social media now more than ever, especially without rallies or in-person campaign stops during this pandemic. And Twitter has permanently banned former KKK leader David Duke from the platform. The social media site says Duke's account has been permanently suspended for violating the company's policy against hateful conduct. In March, Twitter revised its policy prohibiting posts that promote violence or threats of violence against people based on their religion, race, or ethnic origin. Neither Twitter nor Duke will say which specific posts led to the ban. The 70-year-old Duke is the founder and former Grand Dragon of the Knights of the Ku Klux Klan. In Health Matters, a new UBC study reveals that women who lack social ties have a greater likelihood of being obese. Researchers studied thousands of adults between 45 and 85 years old and found older women who are not married, live alone, or have no social activities have the highest average waist size. Compared to men, where they found the greater the social networks, the greater the risk of obesity. More research is needed to understand why that's true, but the results suggest it may be beneficial for healthcare providers to encourage their mature, non-partnered female patients to participate more in social activities. A Vancouver coastal health study seems to have uncovered a crucial touch point in the transmission of COVID-19 in long-term care homes. Nadia Stewart shows us the commonly used piece of equipment that can help spread the virus and the precautions put in to help. 
Okay, just going to tighten for a minute there. Of all the COVID-19 touch points, blood pressure cuffs might not have been high up on the list. But a Vancouver Coastal Health study is drawing attention to the equipment used in long-term care homes, identifying contamination on things staff use every day. Some of the medical equipment that moves from room to room, things like blood pressure cuffs, uh, an electronic medical tablet, and a linen cart were actually found to be contaminated with the virus causing COVID-19. Researchers focused on three care homes while they were in the midst of COVID-19 outbreaks. 89 surfaces were swabbed, six samples tested positive for the virus. Of the nine blood pressure cuffs swabbed, four were contaminated. Researchers say some care homes have found solutions beyond even more stringent sanitation. And that includes having dedicated equipment. So for people who are known to be infected with COVID-19, for them to have their own equipment that stays put in those rooms uh, and doesn't present a risk to others is one thing that some of the homes have taken on as a new step. But measures such as this come at a cost. For things like blood pressure cuffs, you, you do have an option of having one-time use, but the cost of that is extraordinary. Mike Clausen of the BC Care Providers Association says care home staff will likely focus on enhanced cleaning because so many costs have increased in the wake of the pandemic. As researchers continue to look at the surfaces identified as hotspots, Clausen wonders where residents' personal items, the family mementos inside each room, fall on the risk spectrum. He says removing them should be done with careful consideration. They take anything that they consider non-essential uh, non to the health care, they move it out and they store it. And then it becomes not their space at that point. And that, that's what's hard. And it's hard, especially with people who have dementia or cognitive issues. Person-to-person -person transmission is still the primary source of outbreaks, not these cuffs. But extra precautions will no doubt be taken all the same. Nadia Stewart, Global News. A new study suggests most Canadians would be okay with using a contact tracing app. Many countries have adopted these apps to help authorities determine who might have come in contact with a COVID-19 case. The StatsCan study found more than half of Canadians would use it if recommended by public health authorities. Those opposed to the app cited privacy concerns. Well, now Ontario is trying to ease those fears as it launches a new COVID alert app. The Premier encouraging residents to download the app after several weeks of delays. The app uses Bluetooth technology to allow for contact tracing and developers say it does not access location data. More provinces are expected to also adopt the app soon on a voluntary basis. Still to come, the tattoo enthusiast who's a marvel to behold. I'm completely covered from the neck down. What got him into the Guinness Book of World Records? And 48 hours till the Canucks' first playoff game in four years. The series that's guaranteed to be wild coming up in sports. It's the stuff of nightmares for a lot of people. Giant so-called murder hornets. And one of them got a little too close for comfort around here where they found it right after weather with Christy. And before we bring her in, take a look at this. A light show for some B.C. residents last night as several thunderstorms passed over central Vancouver Island through the early morning hours. This was the view from Lanceville Beach looking north to Parksville. The BC Wildfire Service says it received a number of calls and there are now 10 new fires, nine of them confirmed from lightning. And Christy is here with more right now, including your weather forecast heading into the long weekend. Christy? 
Thanks, Chris. Yeah, so it's the Central Fire Center that has the 10 new fires, and you can see that ban from Vancouver Island right up into the Sunshine Coast to north of Hope in the Boston Bar area, and it lines up exactly with this band of thunderstorms. Yes, so there you go. That was through the early morning hours this morning. Now, this afternoon, all that action shifted to the north. We still have a severe thunderstorm watch in effect. I don't think you're going to see anything severe, but still keep your eye out for it. But what we're going to see is a number of lightning strikes, so we'll be watching the BC Wildfire Service for their update on these lightning strikes to see if there's any new fires uh, ignited. I want to remind you we're in that scenario where we've got uh, high to extreme fire danger rating across southern BC. If you were to ever see a fire, make sure you call these numbers right away so the BC Wildfire Service can get on them. And we certainly will see them as we head through the long weekend. Not only that, with the flow from the south, there are a number of fires in Washington, uh, Montana area, and we're seeing that haze and smoke move up into our region. You may have smelt it or seen it in your region from Abbotsford into the interior. We'll likely see that for the next little while, but it should shift out of our region. There's your forecast for your Saturday, everyone. We're generally into a weekend that's pleasant, not as hot as what we have seen in the last few days, especially along the coast. We'll see how high is about 25 degrees near uh, coastal regions, 27 degrees away from the water, so quite pleasant and dropping down a little bit at night as well. We have a slight chance of showers in the early morning on Monday. That's about it for your long weekend. So I hope you can enjoy, and I'll leave you with some great photos. This is your central windows weather window from Texada Island showing that lightning storm from this morning. And I had to show you one more from the Qualicum Beach area. There you go, Chris. Spectacular images. Thanks very much, Christy. Well, rescue groups and fisheries officials are working to save three humpback whales entangled in fishing gear just off our coast. The Department of Fisheries and Oceans released this video of the attempt to find Checkmate, a humpback spotted off East Vancouver Island, but rescuers couldn't get close enough to it. Checkmate has a trap and line running through its mouth and is trailing other fishing gear as well. While crews were out there, they spotted two other humpback whales also entangled in fishing gear. The department says entanglements happen every year, but it is unusual to get so many of them at the same time. It's an absolute animal welfare issue. It's, you know, the result of, of human activity, you know, direct result of human activity. It's something that a whale can be affected by for a very long period of time before finally succumbing. It can interfere with the animal's ability to, to forage, to avoid predators, to navigate. Um, and it, it could be a very slow, long, prolonged death. Um, it's, it's not a very nice thing at all. Hoping for the best there. And a man who helped rescue a seal pup near Port McNeil will not face charges, but the situation is instead being used to educate the public. The seal pup, now named Zenon Samuel, was five days old when he came across it earlier this month. He brought the seal pup with him on his boat overnight, and his wife made contact with the Marine Mammal Rescue Center. The pup is doing well, but experts say this is a teachable moment if you happen to see marine life in distress. We do ask the public to obviously, if they are observing a pup, that they feel that is in in distress or is in need of um, some sort of response. The best thing to do is to call us. And while we're going through a series of questions, uh, we ask that they they keep people and pets away. If the mum is there... She's not going to come back if there's dogs or people around the pup. And it's also very stressful for the pup, too. So cute. And now prepare to be terrified because Washington State has trapped its first Asian giant hornet. The hornet was found in a Department of Agriculture 
bottle trap near Birch Bay on July 14th, later identified as the invasive species native to South Korea. Five other giant hornets, also called murder hornets, have been found in Washington state. Officials now plan to search for nests and deploy special traps to catch the invasive pests alive in order to try to track them back to their colony. Destroying the nest before new queens emerge and mate will prevent the spread of the hornets, which can decimate honeybee colonies. We hope to have this done prior to this nest establishing breeding cast, and so we're giving ourselves a deadline of uh, early to mid-September, and we hope to locate the nest this came from prior to that. Uh, it can be a little bit dangerous, so we'll, we'll have the area cordoned off, and then we'll be able to uh, get to the nest and, and uh, use our eradication methods and, and wipe it out. Those guys are heroes. In B.C., the dangerous insects have also been found in Cloverdale and on Vancouver Island. Yikes. <laughs> I'm staying away from the bees. <laughs> yeah, keep them away. All right, we'll let you know how that goes. And uh, Barry's in for Squire. A lot of people ready for the playoffs to begin in hockey, Barry. Yeah, I can imagine a lot of people doing their snack shopping uh, tonight, getting all the supplies <laughs> ready. Five NHL games tomorrow. The countdown's on for the Canucks. There's still 48 hours before they play game one against the Wild. It's going to be intense. And to score, you're going to have to pay the price. The goals are scored from around the paint, and we're going to have to find a way to get there. The Wild will make the Canucks earn those goals. We'll hear from both coaches. And coming up later, a Marvel comic fan who takes his collection with him wherever he goes. All right, Barry's here with sports, and uh, we were just talking about how the intensity has got to ratchet up pretty quick here, Barry. Yeah, uh, just a couple of days away, and uh, no, no time to just ease into these playoff series, Chris. Yeah, just 48 hours until faceoff for Game 1 of the Canucks and Wild. This is definitely a toss-up series. Minnesota was actually one of the hottest teams in the league when the NHL shut down back in March. Former Vancouver Giants coach Dean Evason took over behind the bench from Bruce Boudreau in Minnesota on Valentine's Day and led the Wild to an 8-4 record. And part of their success has been a defensive structure that could pose problems for the Canucks. I'm glad that our guys are, are structured. Obviously, every coach looks for, for the structure and the compete level uh, defensively. And our group has been you know, committed to doing that. And uh, you know, we don't, didn't see anything through our camp or or the first game that would uh, suggest that we, we weren't committed. So I'm um, looking forward to the group continuing to do that. Yeah, they're, they're a good defensive team. Uh, you know, they're a good team offensively as well. So uh, at this time of the year, a lot of goals are scored from around the paint, and we're going to have to find a way to get there. The CFL season remains in doubt after a report that the league is not pleased with a federal government offer for a short-term loan at high interest rates. The league feels that kind of loan would actually put them in a worse position going forward. The CFL says it needs some sort of federal government support to make a shortened season happen. Winnipeg's already been chosen as the hub city with a tentative September start, but right now that is not looking good. 
Major League Baseball's decision not to go with the Hub City format is blowing up in its face and has put the season in jeopardy. Two St. Louis Cardinals tested positive today, forcing a postponement of the Cards-Brewers game. MLB has had 29 positive tests this week. The NHL and NBA have had none. They're in hub cities. It's prompted MLB Commissioner Rob Manford to basically tell the players to get their act together on being more careful or the season will get wiped out. The Blue Jays won't play again until Tuesday after their series with the Phillies had to be postponed after a couple of Philadelphia staff members tested positive. The NBA has no current positive COVID test in their bubble in Orlando. Milwaukee Bucks and Boston Celtics, two of the best in the NBA, playing uh, their first game of the restart. Bucks jumped out early. Giannis taking it strong, throws down the Thunder, 64-58 Milwaukee at the half. More from Antetokounmpo in the third, using those long to swoop under for the reverse. Giannis had 20 after three, but tied at 87. Late fourth, still tight. Bucks go inside to who else? Giannis, bucket and foul. He had 36 as the Bucks win 119-112. Grizzlies and Blazers, a huge game. Portland is trying to catch Memphis for one of the two remaining playoff spots in the West. Almost a must win for the Trailblazers. They trailed by nine mid-fourth, but veteran Carmelo Anthony hits a big three to send it to overtime, tied at 124. In OT, Portland scored the first 11, including the step-back three from C.J. McCollum. Huge win for the Blazers, who now trail Memphis by two and a half with seven games left. Second round of the WGC, FedEx St. Jude from Memphis. Brooks Kepka, first-round leader after an 8-under-62 Thursday, was sailing along until misses a short one for par. Then for bogey, misses that one. Made double. One over today, 7-under, but still tied for third and a long way to go. But you hate to miss those shorties. American Brendan Todd had a clean card today. Five birdies, no bogeys including this 50-footer for birdie on the 14th. He is all alone at the top at 11-under. Ricky Fowler, though, is in hot pursuit. Chips in for birdie here on 18. He's two back at 9-under. Four Canadians playing. Nick Taylor and Mackenzie Hughes are tied at the minus 133rd. Adam Hadwin well back at plus four. Corey Connors is even. No cut in the 78-player field. So they'll all make lots of money. There you go, Chris. Sounds like it. All right, thanks very much, Barry. We'll check in with Andrew now in a preview of Global News at 11 tonight, Ann. Thanks, Chris. We are keeping an eye on that big party that was advertised for Third Beach in Stanley Park this evening. Plus, it was a busy afternoon for Kamloops firefighters who were dealing with three house fires within a couple of blocks. All this in 35-degree-plus temperatures had happened in the Rayleigh neighborhood. We'll have more on that story when you join us tonight at 11 o'clock, Chris. All right, thanks very much, Anna. When we come back, when it comes to tattoos, this guy's a superhero. That's next. Vincent Mann is celebrating his love of superheroes in a very permanent way, and it's earned him a world record almost by accident. Global's Morgan Black explains. Rick Scolomero's home is filled with collectibles, but his most prominent collection is with him wherever he goes. I'm completely covered from the neck down. In 2018, Guinness World Records created a new title for the Edmontonian for most Marvel comic characters tattooed on the body. We didn't have a lot when I, when I was growing up either, so you know I had, I had some comic books and the Marvel cards, and I had one Guinness book, and so I spent you know, years looking through that book. In 2020, he was featured in the latest edition of the very book he grew up reading. Designs include Black Widow on his torso and Venom on his left knee. Rick also has Stanley's autograph 
inked on his wrist. Scalomero didn't intend to set a world record. In fact, after he got a Spider-Man tattoo in 2011... I figured maybe, you know, the odd Marvel one here and there. Today, he has 34 Marvel characters covering his body. He estimates he spent about 400 hours getting tattooed, and it cost about the price of an SUV. It's something that I'm passionate about. It's something I enjoy. It's something that I'm almost 40, and I still have love for Marvel. The superfan who loves superheroes says they've provided him a rare power. It gave me something to, you know, escape. It gave me something to, you know, to have, to look up to, things like that, and uh, just never really shook it. Morgan Black, Global News. Wow, that is some ink. <laughs> okay, before we sign off uh, for the long weekend, Christy, it's over to you, and uh, how's it look? Weather-wise. Well, we are looking at a bit of cloud cover for tomorrow morning, but otherwise you can expect sunshine. It's not until late Sunday that we could see a little bit more cloud once again. Bit of instability pushing in with, bring, well, a slight chance of showers overnight Sunday and through Monday morning. Overall, I think this weekend you can expect sunshine and warmth, but not quite as hot as what we saw for the last couple of days, which will be nice. And the one key thing I want to note is that the temperatures at night will drop a little bit as well, so a little bit more comfortable for sleeping, because I know it has been tough in my household for sleeping at night. <laughs> no doubt. You do not need the extra blankets these days, an extra no. fan, maybe. All right, thanks very much, Christy. Barry, thanks for mm -hmm. sitting in. For Squire, be safe out there, everybody, on this long weekend, and we'll see you back here on Monday.